years and years ago, um, I lived in a city called Adana in the south, which was on the edge of the earthquake zone, um, and I had a Canadian-Irish flatmate, uh, and he got hold of this Christian board game, as such things do exist, a Christian board game, and uh, on this, it was a bit like a Monopoly board, I mean, you know, you threw a dice and you moved around, and there was one particular square, and it was labelled Goyi. That was a punishment. If you landed on the Goyi square, you had to pay a forfeit or something. Um, and un- unfortunately, for some, even for some Christians, the idea of mission could be seen as a punishment, even, uh, or as a God will send you to the worst possible place, you know, and uh, you'll, you'll have a miserable time, and uh, that's what God wants you to do. Well, that, that kind of mentality is reflected in, in that board game, Goyi. Um, well, we're going to read uh, and look at uh, uh, this character, Jonah, who actually... For him, mission was, was some kind of punishment. And we're going to go on a little journey with Jonah, but the journey uh, will begin in the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 14, the beginning of Jonah's missionary career. 2 Kings 14, verse 23. This is the account of the reign of Jeroboam II, uh, king, of Is- um, king of Israel. King Jeroboam the second, verse 26, he did it what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That was Jeroboam the first. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. So this is first mention of Jonah. And he made a prophecy for his own people. It was a, an encouraging prophecy. He said, that your borders are going to be extended. He didn't need to get up and go anywhere. And there was no, no signs of a struggle with God. He didn't wrestle with God over this message. It was a, it was a pleasing message, um, both for him and, and presumably for the recipients of the message. And God, God's word was fulfilled through the mouth of Jonah. Um, however, when we come to the book of Jonah, it's a very different story. Let's turn now to Jonah, chapter 1. I'm going to refer to to the other places in the book of Jonah um, that we start, of course, with the beginning in chapter 1. It's an amazing story, Uh, not just the content, but the way it's told. And we don't really have time to look at all the the way that the story is built on repetition. Um, We'll look at some of the repetitions and what God's word will say to us through that. Um, notice how it begins. Verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. The subject of the first sentence, the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh, the God of Israel. God's word triggers this whole narrative, this whole story. It starts with the word of God coming to the man of God, Jonah. The word of the Lord starts off this, this amazing story. And what does the word of the Lord say? The three, three commands. God gives three commands. Get up, go, and cry out. Get up, go, and cry out. Three commands. Uh, let's brush up our Hebrew a little bit. Um, you do know Hebrew. When Jesus raised up a little girl, 
who had just recently died. What did he say to her in the book of Mark? Sorry? Talita Kumai. Kumi, yes. Very good. Very good, yeah. Mark 5, verse 41. We're actually given the actual words that Jesus spoke in the Aramaic language, which is actually very similar to, to Hebrew, which, of course, is the book of Jonah. So in Mark 5, 41... Taking her by the, the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Now, kumi is when you're speaking to a lady or a girl, a female, kumi. It means get up. If you're speaking to a guy, a man, you say kum in Hebrew, get up. Kum to a man, kumi to a girl. And God says to Jonah, kum, get up. Get up and Go. And preach or proclaim or cry out. Get, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. The evil of Nineveh triggers God's warning, triggers God's righteous anger, his wrath. Their evil has reached such a pitch that God intervenes. He has to intervene because of his holiness being challenged by the evil of sin of mankind so Jonah is to call out against the evil of Nineveh to get up go and proclaim or preach God's message to those people call them to repentance now the Christian message includes a call to repentance and includes the bad news of God's wrath and anger against our sin our selfishness and our rebellion but that warning, that hard message, is also a call to repent and to turn back to God. It's, it's always an opportunity for the hearers to respond because God's judgment is not inevitable if people respond and, re and repent. At the heart of the book of Jonah is this very short, simple, and yet profound message. At the heart of the book in chapter 2 when Jonah's in the belly of the fish he prays this amazing prayer. And then at the end of that prayer, chapter 2, verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. And maybe that's the heart of the message of the book. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Yes, God is a God of judgment, but God is a God of salvation. He alone is able to save us from our predicament, from, our, from the chaos and disruption and misery that our sinners cause. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Christian message is a message of salvation. It's good news of a saviour, of a deliverer, who has come and rescued people from their sin. Salvation comes from the Lord, chapter 2, verse 9. And of course, that whole thing is also reflected or echoed by Jesus himself in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28. Jesus said something similar. He said to the disciples, go, as it were, get up, go, and pre preach, proclaim the good news make disciples of all nations. It's, it's a kind of an echo of Jonah, chapter 1, where God says, get up and go and pre proclaim. God said, Jesus said to his church, to the apostles, there's something similar, go to the nations and bring this message, make disciples of all the nations. So the Old Testament and the New Testament are interconnected in this area. So, if the gospel is going to reach the nations, there has to be movement. The church has to move, has to be mobilized. We can't just sit and expect God to work 
well, of course, he will work, but he's chosen to work through weak and feeble vessels such as us. Get up, go and preach or proclaim. Three commands. Jonah obeys the first command. He gets up. He partially obeys the second and third commands. He gets up and he goes, but where does he go? Uh, Nineveh, uh, God wanted him to go to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which was overland to the east of where Jonah was. Instead, he did the exact opposite. He got up and he went overseas to the west. Um, there's some debate as to where Tarshish is, I and mean, it could be Spain, in which case it was the furthest limit of the known world at the time. He couldn't go any further than Spain. So he got up and he went not overland in Nineveh, but overseas to the west, towards Spain, fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Um, the Hebrew word literally is the fleeing from the face of the Lord. Well, that's a very foolish thing to do because you can, you can never flee from the presence of the Lord, but Jonah thought he could. Uh, so he got up and his first missionary journey, instead of going to Nineveh in the east, he went towards Tarshish in the west. Uh, I said the story is an amazing narration. Um, we, we don't have time to look at the way that repetition is used. I mean, the word go down is, very, is used many times. He went down, 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 down. Um, another word that's repeated in this story is the word appoint. You know, God appointed this, God appointed that. He appointed a great fish. He appointed a worm. He appointed a plant. So we see in this whole story the sovereign grace of God. God's sovereign grace over all of creation, over men and women, over animals, over fish, over worms, over plants. God is sovereign over all, and the book of Jonah emphasizes this fact. So um, we're going to look at um, Jonah's two missions, mission number one, the aborted mission, and then mission number two, where he actually did go, get up, go, and preach in Nineveh. So the first mission, as we saw, he tried to flee from the face or the presence of the Lord, and he ends up in this ship. God sends a great storm, and um, what's Jonah doing in the, in, as the storm rages around him and the ship is about to sink? He's, he's in the bows of the ship sleeping. Now, that may remind us of Jesus. He was also sleeping in a storm, but that was a different kind of sleep. The sleep, the rest of faith. Jonah's sleep was, a, was, was not that kind of sleep. It was kind of a, a guilty sleep, if you like. Um, and he had to be aroused. And for the second time, he's told to get up. Okay, God told him, get up and go. This time the captain of the ship says, um, the captain, verse um, six, the captain said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Get up, arise, call out to your God. Again, interesting, this, this pagan captain's kind of echoing the words of God. In verse 1, get up and cry out to your God to rescue us from this storm. So the second time, Jonah's told to get up, to arise. And then he's interrogated. Who are you? What, what's your country? What people are you? And then he gives this... First statement of faith, his first confession of faith. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Interesting. 
The fact that he fears the Lord is also disobeying the Lord. There's a big contradiction there. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men continue the interrogation. What is this that you have done? And then they carry on. What, the book is full of questions. Here, Jonah's questions. You know, what should we do for you? Um, notice that Jonah, Jonah's belief and faith is orthodox. You know, he has the right beliefs. He believes in the one true God, the creator. But that belief has not percolated through to his heart. I mean, in his head, he knows the facts. He knows the truths, but he doesn't live according to the truth. His life is a contradiction. He knows what, what is true. He believes it. He even um, confesses it with his lips, and yet his actions are contradicting his words. It's a big danger for all of us when our lives contradict our beliefs. And um, then Jonah, of course, wakes up and um, is thrown overboard and is rescued by the great fish that God has appointed to save him. But notice that Jonah's, this first mission journey of Jonah has some very unexpected results because the pagan idolatrous idolatrous sailors actually repent and turn to the Lord, to the true God. So they pick Jonah up. Um, they say, O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, nor lay on us innocent blood. For you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. Then the men feared the Lord. They feared Yahweh, the God of Israel, exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, to Yahweh, and made vows. So even without trying, Jonah has made some converts. Even in the midst of his disobedience, you know, God in his sovereign grace, mercy, and patience has used Jonah's testimony, flawed as, as he is. God has used him and has saved these, rescued them from, from drowning and saved their souls as well. These, these pagan sailors have turned to the true God of Israel. An unexpected result of Jonah's mission. In spite of Jonah, God moves in sovereign grace and sovereign power and love. Interestingly, in the book of Romans, chapter 10, Paul says something similar about the nations. Romans 10, 20 and 21. Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. This is exactly what happened in the story of Jonah. Those sailors were not seeking God as far as we know. Um, and yet God was found by them. And God showed himself to them through this rebellious prophet, Jonah. And they were rescued spiritually as well as physically. I've been found by those who did not seek me. And I've shown myself to those who did not ask me. So that's the first missionary journey of Jonah, which ended up in the belly of this great fish that God appointed. Now, chapter 3 we have the second missionary journey of Jonah, chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. This is a carbon copy of chapter 1, almost exactly the same words. Come, get up, go, and cry out, proclaim, preach. And yet there's a, an addition in chapter 3. Call out against it the message that I tell you. That's not there in chapter 1, but it's in chapter 3. God will give Jonah a message, and Jonah is to pass that message on. The message that I give you. 
We have been given a message. A Christian, the Christian church has been given a message. And Paul, in Galatians 1, um, talks about where this message come, comes from, the Christian gospel. Where does it originate from? Galatians 1, 11 and 12. He says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. We didn't invent the gospel. In fact, the gospel, uh, who would invent a gospel like that? Who would invent a story of a crucified Messiah hanging on the cross? God in the flesh. Who, would, who could imagine, who could invent such a story? We've not invented this story. This story, this truth, this good news has been entrusted uh, to the church in every generation. The apostolic message of God's salvation. Uh, and we, just as uh, Jonah was told to preach the message God gave him, we are also told to pass on the message that Jesus has given to us through his apostles. So we're told to do two things about this message. It's been entrusted to us. We're to guard it, to protect it, not to compromise. And we're also, secondly, to pass it on to others. To protect it, to guard it, and to pass it on as a good deposit. Um, it's, as uh, Paul writes in the pastoral letters of Timothy and Titus, pass it on, protect it, and pass it on. So Jonah is chapter 3. Come, get up, go proclaim and he actually ends up in Nineveh this great city the capital of the Assyrian empire now in a in a way it's, we could understand Jonah Jonah's reluctance to go there because of course Assyria was a great enemy of Israel they were known for their ruthlessness and their aggression and their extreme cruelty so it's understandable on the human level that Jonah would not want to go there to this this idolatrous cruel aggressive people and he would not want God's mercy to reach them and in fact in chapter 4 he's expecting a show of divine fireworks you know what's God to bring judgment on them as he brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis he's expecting something similar but again in uh, unexpected consequences he goes into Nineveh and what happens when he preaches this message this warning yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown uh, a warning of God's coming judgment. What happens? The people respond. The people repent. An amazing mass repentance takes place. Unexpected consequences. And God's judgment is averted at this point. Of course, later on in the book of Nahum, a hundred maybe years later, that God's judgment did come on that city. But for the time being, God has relented and they're rescued and saved. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. Chapter 3, verse 10, and he did not do it. So you could say his mission was successful, but this success did not give Jonah any joy because chapter 4, he's expecting God to destroy Nineveh, and when God doesn't do it, he's very disappointed. And at chapter 4, we have Jonah's second confession of faith remember the first confession of faith was on the ship when he gave testimony to the sailors about what he believed in chapter four uh, he's arguing with God about Nineveh and 
chapter 4, he said, he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So here's his second confession, his second statement of faith. Again, orthodox. It's taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 34. God revealing his character to Moses. And Jonah knows this and repeats it. He knows God's character. He knows God's mercy, his steadfast love. He's slow to anger, his graciousness. He knows all this in his head, but it hasn't penetrated his heart. Again, as in, uh, as, as in chapter 1, we see the same thing, the same pattern. He knows all the right things. He believes all the right things, but his life is unaffected by it. His heart is unaffected by it. He does not share God's concern for the lost people of Nineveh. He does not share God's compassion for those people living in darkness or as it says at the end of chapter 4 there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also many animals so it's not enough yes we must have confessions of faith we must have creeds we must know what we believe but it doesn't if it doesn't change our hearts and our lives and our actions then we're going to be living in a contradiction as Jonah did so the hero of this story is not Jonah. The hero of this story is Yahweh's God, the Lord of Israel. His concern for the whole world, for all the nations of the world, for their salvation, for their coming to faith, so that he will not have to judge them for their sins. So we saw Jonah's interrogation on the ship. Now in chapter, in chapter 1, chapter 4, God interrogates Jonah. God starts asking him questions. Uh, are you right to be angry? Um, do, you work, do you do well to be angry? Chapter 4, verse 9. And the whole book of Jonah ends with a question, God's question. Uh, should I not pity Nineveh? Chapter 11. In the, in the Hebrew, it ends with that actual question. Should I not pity Nineveh? Should I not have mercy on them? So God is the great questioner, the great interrogator. It challenges our complacency, challenges our wrong thinking, our wrong living, uh, and questions us. So he questions Adam right in the beginning. Adam, where are you? He questions Jonah and his, his motivation. So, in conclusion, so what do we see here? We see that God's word triggers all these events. Jonah is called upon to pass on God's word to these unbelievers just as God has entrusted his church with his word with his gospel and the aim is to reach all the nations of the world that's the part the mission of the church God is at work in many unexpected and amazing ways and as as the church goes out in mission and there has to be a movement as we saw get up go and preach proclaim there will be many unexpected results I mean the people often the people we least imagine will respond and end up responding we often have witnessed that ourselves that debbie mentioned this turkish couple well they were devout muslims in fact even when they came to london on holiday they would go to the mosque and do their prayers they would fast in ramadan i mean you would not imagine you would think more secular people would be more open and come to faith no these very devout religious muslims um 
They started to read, well, the husband started to read the Quran. He was shocked at all the violence in the Quran and the misogyny in the Quran. And that got him thinking and searching. But actually, God was searching for him. And they both came to faith totally unexpectedly. Uh, God is an amazing God. And when the church moves out of mission, they will see amazing things happen, unexpected things, as God uses his word, uses his people. Why, and he chooses men like Jonah, people like Jonah, flawed vessels. Why? So that the glory goes to him. We have this treasure in jars of clay so that the glory may go not to us but to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of glory. Jonah, the book of Jonah challenges our complacency. It calls us to live lives of integrity where our words and our actions are one. And it forces us to break out of our narrow horizons and look beyond our own people and to look at the nations, the nations, the harvest is white, Jesus said in John 4. Cry out to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Share God's concern for the lost people around us and beyond us as well. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Should I not be concerned? Should I not pity we need to share that same compassion, that same pity, that same conviction that salvation is from the Lord and the, Lord, the Lord's heart is for all the nations that he has created. Get up, go, proclaim the message that I give to you and as God, God is saying to us today as well. And as we do that, we will certainly see amazing things as God works in his sovereign grace and power. God's sovereign pur purposes include you, they include me. It's an amazing truth. God includes us, flawed and weak people as we are. He includes us, his church, his people, to reach this lost and dark world. Isn't that an amazing truth? May God excite us with this reality. He's entrusted us with this transforming gospel of grace. And he's given us the commands to get up, to go, to proclaim, and then he will do the rest. Our job is just to pass on what God has given to us, and he will do the, the, the work of converting, of saving people until he comes again. Amen.